You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Seven. Seven. Seven this Thursday. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Are you alive? Are you well? Alive and well. Good, good, good. Let's get a little closer. Mm -hmm. Sean Richardson. Richards. Uh, had his hernia surgery this week. Yay. Forever we've been waiting for this man to get some pain relief. Let's pray for him as he's in recovery that he doesn't do anything beyond what the doctor has suggested, ordered, told him should be in his, in his range of operation. And Debbie's got uh, surgery on the 30th, and Linda's got surgery on the 26th. So we've got a couple surgeries coming up. I had surgery Wednesday. Uh-huh. You guys look good. <laughs> yeah. White now. Yeah. I've got one eye with no cataract, one eye that still has a little cataract that's not bad enough for. Medicare to take it off. <laughs> but uh, so if I cover up this eye, everybody's in bright LED white. If I cover up this eye, you're all in incandescent yellow. <laughs> so it's kind of hard for my eyes to know how to, how to focus. It's been interesting. So let's pray. Father, first and foremost, we lift up Israel. We pray, Father, for your heart, your plans. We know that Hamas has not in any way surprised you. But Lord, you taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. And we pray, Father, with that heart for your people, for Israel. We say, Lord, Deliver them from evil. Have your hand upon them. We pray for protection. We pray for a grace to come that would begin healing even before the war ceases. And so let your grace that goes before be to each one that is suffering. We lift them up to you in Jesus' name. We pray for Sean, Lord, that you would just give him a supernatural recovery. And Father, that, uh, that the pain that he's been suffering for months and months and months, Lord, that that would be finished forever. We pray for a grace, a preparation for surgery for Linda and Debbie. We pray, Father, that you'd prepare their hearts, their souls, and their bodies for what this, these procedures will, will do. We pray, Father, that there would be encounters with you Nothing can separate us from your presence, not even anesthetic. And so we pray, Father, the riches of your kingdom and the richness of your presence to be with our sisters. Amen.
Well, chapter 12 has been full of questions that begin in chapter 11 where they're trying to trap Jesus. And this last question that was strategically designed to uproot everything, wanting to know what's, it leads to the, to, to the sincere question of what's the most important commandment in the scriptures? And Jesus quotes the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four and following. And, and he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. And this teacher of the law that asked the question, he goes, wow. You know, that really kind of summarizes all of the commandments. The 10 commandments and the 600 plus other commands that they have. So it's just like, wow, that, that is so amazing. That he is so impressed with Jesus, he says, that was a great answer. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom. See, coming into the kingdom is not what you know as far as you, you might be able to recite all 10 commandments. You might be able to quote large volumes of scripture, but it has to do with how you relate to the authority that comes in Jesus. What's your relationship with him? How do you connect with Jesus? This guy is not far. He's understanding, he's acknowledging that Jesus's reply was right on target, but now, what are you gonna do with that? What are you gonna do with that information? So Jesus, in this last week of his life on planet Earth, he's teaching in the, in, in the temple courts, and uh, it appears that part of this time that uh, at the end of chapter 12, he's in the court of the women, and uh, he's, he's just sharing and sharing. And so we pick up our reading today at verse 35, chapter 12 of Mark. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that teachers of the law say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces. And they have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Father, we just pause and we ask that you would release your Holy Spirit in a way that would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what your Spirit is saying to the church today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So now Jesus has a question. These chapters are just full of questions. And as Jesus is coming off of the good response of a certain teacher of the law, he now then redirects 
and says, why, how, how is it that teachers of the law say that Christ is the son of David? Now, Jesus is not saying that the Messiah is not the son of David. But if you think that the Messiah is just the son of David, then you have an inaccurate and an incomplete understanding of who the Messiah is. The Messiah is more than just being the son of David, whom God had given a promise that there would be someone from David's lineage that would sit on the throne, but that he was the son not only of man, but he was the son of God. And so here Jesus is once again tipping his hand. It seems like around the temple areas where he kind of, I, I think because of the association that this is the house of the Lord, this is the house of prayer for all nations. This is the place where they would go to worship Yahweh. That Jesus from 12 years old on, and anytime he's there, he's, I, I think he's just enjoying being in the house of God. And I think he feels especially close to Father there. Just an opinion, no, no text. But from there, it seems like he gives more revelation about who he is than any other time. It's in that environment that he's, he's getting them to start to see he is the son who is divine, who has come down from the father, who has been with the father for eternity past. And now in this form, in the incarnation, being born in Bethlehem, lived his life, taught, teach, performed miracles, signs and wonders, revealed who his identity is, he comes to the place of saying, yeah, are you catching on yet? I'm not just the son of David, we just saw in chapter 10, Bartimaeus crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. He, he, the blind Bart was recognizing that what, who was going past him was the Messiah, the son of David. But now Jesus is adding to that and he's saying, I am the son of God. So he does this with the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. Psalm 110, verse one. David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit, which is really interesting because they're, they're saying that Psalm 110 is not just a, a, a poetic expression of a, of a psalmist, but it's a poetic expression that's under the influence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put under your feet your enemies. It's going to put your enemies under your feet. Sound familiar? If you've come to the Tuesday night Bible study on Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. When, when the author to the book of Hebrews is, is, is expressing who Jesus is, and how he's superior to angels. He quotes this verse, once again showing that Jesus is above all. 
And so here David, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, writes and says, Yahweh says to my Lord, you are my son. I'll put, your, I'll put all your enemies under your feet. He never said that to any angel. He didn't say it to Moses. He didn't say it to anyone else who's venerated as some incredible superior being. But it's only to the Son that the Father God has said this. So David himself calls him Lord. Hmm. If you have a son and you're a father, you usually call your son, son. Boy, get over here. <laughs> but here he's calling him by the title of the Messiah, Lord. How then can he be his son? Wow. Now, the environment that he's, that he's talking to We've seen in, in these two chapters that we've got the Herodians, we've got the Sadducees, we've got the Pharisees, we've got the teachers of the law. So we've got the religious experts. We've got many representing the Sanhedrin, which was like the Supreme Court for the Jews, that are present listening to what Jesus is saying, hoping to trap him. But now they've stopped asking questions. And now Jesus has the floor and he's presenting who he is. Wow. So amazing. Jesus tells them, this is who I am. I am the Messiah. I am the son of man. I am the son of David. I am the son of God. Yes. And how did they respond? They responded with delight. Mm. Isn't it good to be delighted when you hear things that are true and that they resonate with your heart? And hear this crowd of people, hear Jesus reveal his deity and they are delighted. The Messiah would be both man and God. As David's son, he would be human. As David's Lord, he would be divine. Mm. So he continues. Jesus is on a roll. He says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. They like to have that, that distinguished look. The robes that says, look at me, I'm important, I'm an authority figure, I have power. Hmm. Anybody been wearing your robes lately? <laughs> Usually our robes are bath robes, <laughs> house robes. And they usually aren't anything that sets us apart as amazing. <laughs> it's like, you're still wearing that radio thing? Yeah. <laughs> but here, here they are in their robes. Now, when I graduated from Asbury Theological Seminary, 
They had our black robes, our little black mortar cap, and then the stole for, for Masters of Divinity is the beautiful bright red and deep royal blue. And it's just like, and I felt really important. It was like, this is amazing. And then when you realize that this is the way the clergy would, would, would walk in Jesus' day, they would be in their vestments. They would be there to let everybody know, I graduated. <laughs> you know, I'm smart. I know the scripture. You know, and they would walk around in that. It's, it's so nice that we don't do that. I, I have a good friend that would preach in his robe in, in, in the Free Methodist Church. He, he preached in a robe every day, every Sunday. And it was really interesting. And here was his purpose. Not so that everybody would think, ooh, pretty important. He didn't have his stole on, he just had a black robe. He lived in Florida and he said, I could wear shorts and a t-shirt <laughs> under my robe every Sunday and, and I could get away with it. He doesn't know it, but he's, he's really vineyard at heart. <laughs> the casual dress, you know, the, the unpretentious, you know, we're, we're not dressing to impress and, and by the vestments, by the garments that we wear say, look, I am somebody. But we understand that it's really what's going on in your heart and the ability to receive God's love gives you the ability to release it to others. And that's what gives you influence in the community. So here he, he's saying, be careful. They like to walk around in flowing robes. They love to be distinguished from all other poor common sinners who are uneducated because they have the attire. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Here they want human adulation. They want everybody to esteem them, to say that they are something big. They're amazing. And so they're looking for that, which is just kind of the opposite of what Jesus teaches. He says, if you go to a feast, go and sit at the place of the lowest spot. And if the master of the banquet invites you to come up, then you come up, but you, you don't presume. They wanted an RSVP at the head table. And so that's, Jesus is just once again, just saying, this isn't the way of the kingdom. This is not how the father has ordained his ministers his priests, those who are called his children to, to love and to associate with one another. It's not about human adulation. And he goes even, and gets a little even more direct when he says, they devour widows' houses for a show they make lengthy prayers. Wow. See, the Levites, the, the priestly community, they didn't get land like all the other tribes. And they didn't receive a whole lot of compensation except for as people would bring the sacrifices, 
then after they'd offer the sacrifices, then that would be their, their meal. That would be their food. So they, they lived there. They were kind of dependent upon the generosity of others who would want to contribute. And one of the things that they would do is prey upon rich widows. Rich widows. They would go to the rich widow's house and come in and for show make this lengthy prayer to which it's kind of like the bellboy waiting for a tip. I prayed at your house. And almost through intimidation would start to squeeze the money from the widows. It's like, oh, I feel obligated. Now, I don't know about you, first time I experienced a real bellboy because I never went to a hotel that had that kind of service, you know, the Comfort Inn, Hotel Six, doesn't, you know, they, they don't have that, the Red Roof Inn, but when you do, and, and the first time, and I'm embarrassed because I don't have any tip money. It's like, oh, I'll get you later. How many times has he heard that? But it's out of that, that sense of obligation of coming in and doing something religious and expect some kind of compensation, some kind of tip from somebody. And Jesus was so disturbed by the way those who are supposed to be representing his father are representing their own interest. And if there's been a theme throughout Mark, we find that the religious order at that time, so many of them were so self-centered and so focused and was so concerned about their own little slice of the pie that they wanted to make sure they did not lose anything to this itinerant minister who's going from town to town, village to village, preaching, healing, sharing revelation from the Father's heart that makes them look really bad, really bad. And that's the way it is with religion. Religion will always bring guilt and condemnation. As I grew up in the church, I was just amazed at how often the church would use shame to motivate people into doing the right thing. Please forgive me and all other pastors who've used guilt, condemnation, shame, manipulation to try to coerce believers into following, quote, God. It's usually not God that they're trying to get you. They're trying to get you to follow a kingdom, but it's not necessarily the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom that they're trying to establish. It usually has a very distinct religious tone to it. This is what Isaiah says in chapter 10. First four verses. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows, I underlined widows, their prey, and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives 
or fall among the slain. Yet for all of this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. You know, there are certain things that God really gets upset about. When you cause a little child to sin, he says it's better that you tie a millstone around your neck and be tossed into the sea. What does he feel about child abuse? He's got a strong stance on child abuse. He does not tolerate child abuse. He doesn't like when we take advantage of widows. He doesn't like it when we uh, deprive the poor, when we withhold justice from the oppressed. You go through these things and he says, I've made it very clear in my word that we're not to be evil. And he calls this evil. Next week, we'll look at the widow who puts in her two mites into the treasury. And that will kind of bring a, a close to chapter 12, but it will set the stage for chapter 13, where Jesus goes into his little talking about the future of what's gonna to happen to the temple. He's already come at the triumphal entry he comes into the temple and he brings judgment to the temple. And now he's dealt with the religious leaders. Now he's established that he's not just the son of David, the son of man, but he's also the son of God. He's the Messiah. And then he says, it breaks my heart. The way the hurting, the poor, the oppressed, the widows have been treated by the, in effect, the clergy. And it's like, oh. And he ends with saying, such men will be punished most severely. Hmm. So if you've been, if you've been abused by leadership in a church, whether it's the senior pastor, associate pastors, somebody in there, I just wanna say, let the Lord come to that place in your heart and release a healing grace. Because one of the things you can be sure of, there will be a judge, a judgment day. There will be a time of reckoning. And when, when we think of all the stuff that, that's happened in our lifetime, from ministers sexualizing little boys to all the horrific stuff that, that has been out there, just know that that's not gonna go unpunished. When you suffer unjustly, just look at the book of Revelation and look what happens when the bowls are poured out and the plagues come. That's where the father is dealing with all those who have harmed his kids. There is a judgment that's coming for those who have harmed the children of God. And it will be the most severe for people in position of authority and who are supposed to be representing the Lord. So I pray that you would receive from the Lord through me today, through the Lord Jesus, 
just a, a sincere request for forgiveness. And may you find the ability to forgive those who have, have wrongfully treated you so that your heart can be free to continue to develop in a love relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing that he is the only one who knows how to judge, and he judges justly. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.